Hello folks, welcome to another episode of Yogi Dave's Hobby Podcast, a uh, podcast where I talk about tabletop RPGs, board games, war, um, war games, skirmish games, and everything those games encompass in their hobby. Um, so, if you listened to the show last week, you will know I have or been listening or watching my Twitter, YouTube, whatever, all, all this stuff, um, you know that I'm in the beginnings of the process of um, investigating how to build my own RPG, or write my own RPG, um, obviously for various reasons, one being it's something I always wanted to do, but two being, um, obviously, the whole thing with Article 13, I don't want to get in trouble uh, um, when I'm doing like Twitch broadcasts and stuff um, so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to give, give you a little primer on the world um, this well the basis for this was what I gave the guys at Falkirk District um, when we started doing Pathfinder um, in Hammond you know? um, it was not the the um, most graceful of campaigns <laughs> there, was, there was times where I was cursing them but you know it was a good laugh that campaign um, and I'd like to do it again I'd like to do more ham on your own campaigns but I, I, what I really want to do is do it in with my own RPG I don't want to I, I know it sounds crazy because I've used D&D you know 2nd edition 3rd edition 3.5 Pathfinder before what I really want to do now is actually just use my own system. I, I, I want to do it because that's, you know, that that's the thing. You know, once once I've got an idea in my head and once I'm like, well, I, I'm going to do it, so I might as well just fucking do it. Um, you know, I can't not do it. You know what I mean? I get it stuck in my head. Um, but yeah. Excuse me. It's just a little primer. It's not. It's not masses of words that I'm going to talk, and I'm going to miss bits out because it's obviously um, geared towards Pathfinder. Um, so I'm just going to get into it um, in a second. Um, so when I did do this, when I was like Hammer, it was a short primer of ha- on Hammer and Sharon. Um, so Hamantron is the name of the world which you're taking your first steps into in the life of an adventurer. It's four times the size of Earth, six main continents, not including the North and South Pole regions, which are for the most part uncharted but by explorers from the civilised lands. Though it is known there are a number of societies and races that come from these regions. First, we have Valantaria, the great North Continent and the only continent on Hamantron that's entirely above the equator. Secondly, Melanius, the most densely populated of the six major landmasses. Third is Escatoria, which is where most of the evil races have a major foothold. Where very few of the goodly folk survive in any form of civilization. Estradorius, which is where our campaign is set, is one of the smaller continents, but has a shotgun of tiny countries and lawless lands throughout. Most of the goodly races have settlements and even entire nations here. Estradorius is connected to Findalus, 
where the psionic races are for the most part congregated, though there are other parts of the world we can find. And finally, Thulos, the split between Vindalus and the Razor Back Mountains. All travel between Etharios and Findalus and Krasorin and Thulos goes through the Razorbacks Hegemini Pass. You can tell I made these fucking names up and cannot bloody get them half the time. In addition to the huge landmasses, there are some very significant island chains. In the Falerian Sea, to the east of Thulos and coast of the most westerly tip of Malayas, there is the broken Thanian Islands, known most commonly as the Minotaur Islands, as this is where these overly proud race of bullmen sail across the world and their merchant fleets and sail wares to the four corners, considered to be one of the good races of Hamanshorn. Different from most sets of fantasy rules, um, yeah, Minotaurs are the good guys. And eventually, when I actually get to play a set of rules, a, set, a, a campaign where I'm not the GM in my own world, I'm going to play a Minotaur. By the way. Um, <laughs> there are the Southern Islands in the Thum Sea, south of Millennius and west of Escadoria. This is where the Eredald Hill Sea Elves are con- concentrated. Most of their land-based populations live in the Southern Sea, to the south of Valentaria are the Venerian Islands, home to the Frostian Reavers. In the Miskalon Sea are two island chains, the Miskalon Islands, where the mighty mage lords of Hamanshiron study the arcane arts and teach the next generation of Magi and the Uncharted Islands. Oh, there should really be a stop there. And the Uncharted Islands, which is shrouded in great magical mist which keeps it locked off from the rest of the world. Only the denizens of that land and those have been shipwrecked there know the history of that place. In the Great Arctic Sea, the Eslath Islands, a chain of islands split between four powers and in a state of constant war with each other. Finally, in the Adarian Sea, the north and south Adarian Islands, mostly inhabited by savage and cannibals, these places are abundant in precious and magical metals and minerals, and are such that there are strongholds of various races who occupy the islands where they have no real business being. On Ham and Sharon, the role of mercenary and mediator, lawgiver and guide, other wayfinders. Not a single mercenary company of any good repute is not registered with the wayfinders and most likely to have at least a couple of operatives within their ranks. They are the legions of, there are the legions of the wayfinders, the Order's army, which open, which is open about their service to the Order. They say a contract only goes so far, and if an employer violates the local code of the legion, then not only do they immediately rip up their contract, but they are ex- they expect the rest of the contract to be paid in full. A few employees who have found the rat of the Legion fall upon them when they refuse to honour their agreement find their con- former contractor facing them in the next battle free of charge to their opponent. The, a Legion is made up of three cohorts each cohort are a dozen companies of mercenaries whose size is determined by the company captain each cohort is commanded by the most senior of the captains and each Legion by the leader of the first cohort entire Legions of the Order are committed to one more or another and some have been for years the 30th to 56th legions are currently ensconced within the Islath Islands, attempting to keep the Islath War, which has been going close to 400 years, confined to the island chain. The 42nd to 56th are made up entirely of marines and their ships, bringing the island in an attempt to keep each of the navies within a defined border. A wayfinder is also empowered to make and keep the peace between two warring factions, if they so please to do so. Many of the greater treaties by, were written by one fate wayfinder or another. 
All wayfinders are given the right to dispense low, middle and high law within the borders of their assigned command. But it is in their original duty that we find their name, that of guide and scout for those unfamiliar in a particular region, and a duty that many to this day still follow. They are also empowered by the merchant mage and bard guilds to negotiate on their behalf and protect any travelling member of the guild from harm. There is a series of great rifts between our world, Earth, Muhammad Sharon, never connected in the same place twice, and it is one of the Wayfinders' duties to find these people, save them if possible, and then saving them and integrate them within the fabric of life on Muhammad Sharon, even some becoming Wayfinders themselves. Of the races, there are numbers, there number many, some goodly, some evil, some in between. Human beings, the most numerous and widely spread, they come in all shapes and sizes, all colours and hues, and all movements, good and bad, and in between. Right, so next we move on to the goodly races. And we start with the elves. The elves, the elven subraces are numerous and try to ignore that each other even exists, thinking they are the true elves. The Torrid Aletel are the Sylvan Elves, those elves who live in the forest and the trees and favour the longbow and scimitar along with leather armour. They are most welcome to outsiders within their forest homes. Indeed, they regularly live beside halflings, gnomes and even on occasion humans. They favour the druid, the ranger and the sorcerer. Though you may find clerics and bards among their kind. Um, essentially, the Torrid Hill um, or Torrid Hill are the actual original elves. They live how the original elves lived. Um, and you know that that's that is the 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 basis for them. Um, so the high elves or Aralaitel are lofty, haughty, and proud and arrogant, living in their mountain complexes built around the mountains. Unlike the dwarfs who delve beneath the rocks, and they are least the least liked of all the elven peoples. Indeed, it's well known in the grudge of the mountain clans. The mountain clans of the dwarfs have with the high elven kingdoms. A long tale. A long ago tale is the Great King of the High Elves and the High King of the Mount Dwarfs made a deal lasting alliance between their two races. The dwarfs would teach the elves how to mine for mithril and how to work it into weapons and armour, and in return they would teach the dwarfs how to use magic to improve their weapons. The dwarfs say they held up their end of the bargain, but the elves went back on theirs, and they have been at each other's throats since. They favour mithril plate or chainmail, along with crossbow and tower shield. And a po- or a polearm and heavy shield, along with a long sword as the back of a weapon. The favour of the fighter, cleric, and wizard, through no rogue and cavalier, are not uncommon. The paladins of Seligon Pegalim Gimel are, are strong peasants, the strongholds of Estradorus. They are never barbarians, druids, or riches, or other classes are extremely rare. Right. I'm reading basically the primer um, and as you can tell, even the gods' names I'm not that great with. No, there is one, and coming up that and the evil races, which is a silly, silly name, but it's funny. Um, the Haravel Hill or the Wild Elves, are the last remnant of the first elves. Barbarians, not fighters; druids, not clerics; witches, not wizards. Psionic powers written deep in the Haravel Hill 
there are even an, there's even an entire clan of psionics. They're not very common sight in Estradoris, and I spelt site S-I-T-E, and the fucking spell check didn't pick up. Um, so there are a few clans in the forest of Kiltreus. They obviously favour the barbarian druid much class. Any rogue will be a, a, the survivalist archetype. Any other class is rare, and they are never wizards, monks, mages, paladins, or archivists. Grey elves, or his Waed-Aledhel, are the strangest of the elven king. All of them are magic users, down to the last of them. Even the soldiers are battle mages, they are rarely seen unless they want you to... And their lands are known only to the chosen few outside the people, and even their cousins don't know where they are from and where they put their heads down. The grey elves do not appear from time... do appear from time to time at Elerius and the greater Estradoris, but no one knows where they come from except themselves and any other grey elves they may come upon. Grey elves will obviously be an arcane magic user of some sort. Though they be mul- may be multi-class, they obviously favour plain wizards and multi-class wizards. Many other martial and in- Clyde grey elves favour mages fighter cross classes. They are religiously inclined wizard clerics. There's a small bardic tradition in the grey elf society. There are no witches, barbarians, oracles, and quizzers, monks, or paladins in grey elf society in a rare is the ranger or druid multi-class. Again, obviously, this is written with um, Pathfinder in favour in, in mind. And obviously, as I develop the set of rules, the classes will change. Um, but, you know, you're going to have barbarians, you're going to have rogues, you're going to have fighters, wizards, sorcerers, that kind of thing. It's going to obviously depend on all the subclasses and whatever what <coughs> what each favours when it actually gets written um, so of the dwarfs the mountain clans are by far the most numerous and widely spread there are hill tribes and nomad clans the Karad holds are home to the great clans the great miners, smiths and engineers uh, and the world work them on not inconsiderable skills into the production of the finest metal goods and equipment in all the lands. The dwarfs of the mountains are one of the few peoples with access to black powder firearms, black powder firearms even, their iron belchers being particularly proficient in the use of hand cannons and heavy armour. They favour the fighter, the rogue, tunnel fighters, cleric and gunslinger fighter, monthly class iron belcher. They have a great number of elementalist wizards and even the occasional ranger. All other classes are rare and extreme, except for pounds, who are often cross-class clerics of Carnos, the father of dwarves. Hell dwarves, dwarves are the remnants of mountain clans who have lost their homes in the great cataclysm, and I can't fucking speak, um, when the tectonic plates of Haman Sharon shifted, lava ravaged the lands, water-covered mountains, and new ranges were forged from the earth. They are typically more aloof than their mountain kin, even though they are more, more reliant on the good nature of the rest of the goodly peoples for their survival. It is because of the loss of their former homes they are, that they are so. Great treasures and industries were lost. They have settled in regions and built strongholds of stone and mortar rather than those that were hewn from the very bedrock of the world. They favour fighter, ranger, inquisitor, cleric, rogue and bard. Bear cavaliers of the hill dwarfs are well known, but it is rare that they are seen outside the tribes or clans. Monks have come from the tribes, but these are exiles. Clans, but these are exiles. Druids, 
um, are uncommon, paladins and oracles unheard of, and all arcane magic apart from bard is very rare. The nomad clans are the barbarian clans of the dwarven people and are very much like the Native Americans in the days before the white man settled in Americas in the Americas. Nomads having set migratory patterns throughout the year. Most nomads who are found outside the clans are on a quest of some sort by their shamans, psionic outcasts or those who have been exiled onto the atone for a high crime. If you were the barbarian, the ranger and the druid, and the witch shaman. They have a bardic tradition, though they are very rarely outside of the clans. They have no cavaliers, as they use no mounts. They have little arcade magic outside the shamans and bards, though there are elemental and draconic bloodlines within the clans. They have no divine magic users beside the ranger and the druid. Rogues are, off, are always outcasts and very rare, as thievery is not even slightly tolerated within the barbarian clan society. And obviously psionic sy- outcasts, which I forgot to put down. Um, halflings are split, are split between the Striders, the Pony Clans, and the Forest Folk. The Striders standing four feet tall and walk the world with their own two feet groups of men, maybe ten or fifteen, a family group. The Pony Clans are, as they sound, pony mounted nomad clans, and for the most numerous of the three major sub races. The Forest Folk are a certainly colourful little people, copying the Torah that led hill in every way but small, short bows for longbows, long daggers, supposed to longbow, long swords, and short swords. Um, those halflings who live in the cities and towns of men are split between lawkeepers and thieves' guildsmen. The halflings of the Strider clans are f- found in the wide world as generally children sent out to find their way. Though they favour the f- rogue and the, bar- the bard along all other classes, Strider halflings may be any class except for the cavaliers. Striders don't like being off their own two feet unless they're sleeping or eating. Gun and gunslingers unless they're adopted by a mountain dwarf clan. Any strider child that shows any slight inclination towards magic is placed with a suitable tutor for what they show the most inclination toward, and any who have any slight clerical inclinations are immediately sent to live with the priestly order. Druids not, are not uncommon, neither are part rangers, though most halflings find the discipline and lawful nature required to become a monk or a paladin. Strider monks find it difficult to have the discipline and lawful nature required to become a monk or a paladin. Strider monks are uncommon but unknown, and any Strider paladin will be a justicar. Barbarian Striders are extremely rare. Pony clans favour the Cavalier, Mounted Fighter and Mounted Ranger. Scout, they have some divine and arcane traditions, though they will be more, more comfortable practising the art from the back of the mount. They'd be off them. There are no rogues, witches, alchemists, or monks among the pony clans, and paladins are rarer than even those of the Strider clans. The forest folk, in general terms, mirror the Torrid Light Hill in all things except for use of smaller weapons, though they more likely take on the role of ranger, druid, bard, and rogue than any other. Certainly, city halflings are as varied as the humans they live with and have access to all of the classes, though any ranger or druid will be more at home within the confines of a city than out in the wilds. Those that grew up with parents of City Watch will have similar training, likewise if they have parents in the Thieves' Guilds. Then there are the gnomes, the smallest of the good races, between two and three, three foot, two and two three quarter feet tall. They live in small groups of intermarried families. They can be found 
around the world, the forests, the plains, cities and mountains, anywhere civilizations of any kind can be found. Gnomish people can be found, some groups, oh, some groups taking the life of a barbarian. There are no surface sub-races of gnomes, there are just gnomes who live in a particular place. The range and feature and skin tone dependent on the place of origin. Estradorian gnomes being of tanned skin with wild-coloured hair, hooked nose and round eyes. Gnomes favour the illusionary wizards as well as bards, which is rogues and their own clerical orders. Most of the rest of the classes are uncommon, mostly due to their size and their general lack of fighting ability. They often use they often just mimic the society they live beside. Any gnome that lives within the carriage of their cousins will have access to black powder weapon and the gunslinger class, for example. The Orang Kukshin, the cat people, are of Thulos, north of Estradoris, mostly in the kingdoms they've created for themselves, Jam Jakir and Hajimaran. I am terrible at making names up and being able to pronounce them properly. In Estradoris and Michelin and Krajan and Thulos. But as natural explorers and quizzic people, they can be found in most countries of the great continent of the East. Part of the tribes led by chiefs and council of subchiefs, they are natural adventurers due to their cursed nature, tend to take on the roles of rangers, druids and bards. And there is a great sorceress tradition amongst the people, though there are those who have the patience to take the time required um, to study magical arts formally. There are very few wizards among the race. They do have fighters and rogues, though uncommon, as they tend to lack the discipline for the wizardly arts, so they like the discipline to be inquisitors, monks and cavaliers, though they have been cited before. The clerical orders of Orang Kuching are rarely seen out of Jamjakir, Hajmiran, Mejilan and Krajan, and they are only known to follow their patron deities. Paladins of the Rang Kuching are never cited, not even Justice Cars. The Valkani are a canid like humanoid, treated greatly related to gnomes, and are split into a number of subraces of who interbreed, but every child has the dominant traits of the parents, of one of their parents. Normally, they are born in litters of four or more. They can be found everywhere men are, serving alongside humans in positions of service. Only Vahasmilan in the south of Darien Islands, which is the home, um, do they have an entirely separate kingdom. The most common type seen in Estradorius are Akit Lasher, huge with cod-like muscles, the four column features of the Akita, and the Vulkamat, with the features of the four of the crab-eating forts and tend to be on the slight side. Though there are many others from across the other lands, including the Vulux and the Vulfur, Akit Lasher favour the role of warrior and priest, while his Vulcan Kamat lean towards mage and rogue. Now, like humans they live with, they have access to all classes, except for gunslinger, unless they have found their way to the Karad and their childhood remain there throughout it. The Elfkun, a separate race who are born from the horrors of the Second Great War, where there was darkness, where the darkness was at its ascendancy in the war. The Orkin armies invaded the Elven Kingdom, the name of which is forgotten to history, but by all but the High Elves, they proceeded to kill every male and not already away. Male, not already. Ugh, can't. Excuse me. 
They proceeded to kill every male not already away fighting the war or slain by forces of darkness down to the last baby and proceeded to um, do very nasty things of every woman to every woman of childbearing age. Uh, they settled in the former Elven Kingdom and for 300 years continued to do very nasty things to the elves and create half-orc and half-elf children, creating a slave race who learned everything about the overseers, how they fought, how they lived, how they behaved in every situation. And they had numbers on their parents. They rebelled, killed in the The last remaining elven women left their once homeland in a suicidal mission to kill as many Orkin as they could before dying. Elfkin share traits with both their parent races. They can be aggressive and callous, but also very virtuous, honest, kind and intelligent. The Elfkin have since spread out throughout the world, creating communities in elven and human kingdoms, though some of those elven kingdoms have denied them any presence, finding their mere existence stain on the purity of their race. Elfkin retain many of the facial features of the Orkin, ears of the elves, and much of the quickness and strength of the parent races. Elfkin favour warrior classes over arcane classes, but arcane classes over divine classes. Most elfin found the adventuring being fighters, rangers, rogues and cavaliers. Most arcane and divine magic users remain in their homeland. They are never lawful good, lawful neutral or any evil alignment, making it impossible for them to be paladin monks. Not in 5th edition, apparently. Though there is a large number of elfkin who cross class cavalier and just the cars. Most arcane magic users of combat are oriented in more in multi-class um, fighters or rangers. There are half-orcan and half-elves who walk um, a on, as with most fantasy worlds, who are born of the union between human and either orcan or elf, oftentimes not happy union in case of human or an elf maiden. They're not always so. These children of, of walk half and half out of both the parents' worlds, um, um, and are often at least the least welcome in either in either land. This makes them often the most adventurous of all people. Half Orkin of a Goodland Bend are often found as monks, clerics, paladins, poor, poor opposite of the Orkin parent, often making the most virtuous and dedicated warriors and priests of the gods. Though they follow almost every path of adventurer. Half elves are mostly found as rangers and druids, or fallen sorcerers, or witch path of magic, rather than the traditional wizard path of the elven line. Though as in the half orc can have access to all access to all classes except the gunslinger class. Humans are humans. The only restriction may be archetype. They will be dependent on land. Maybe the archetype they may well be dependent on the land they are from, and no access to black powder weapons except if they were adopted by one of the mount clans. These are but a selection of the most common of good relations and found out in Ham and Sharon and those who live in the surface world. There are many offshoots of the good relations who live in the underlands and under the sea. We will touch on them in a later stage. Right, so you can tell that I overwrote this a little bit and it didn't write very well in other parts. But um, yeah, I'll move on to the evil races now. Evil, 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 evil. I don't know why I did that. <clears throat> the evil races, Goblinites. Now we move on to the most common of the evil races to be found in this world, and whom an adventurer might come across during their trials and travels. <clears throat> most common are the goblin kin kind, and perhaps the most numerous of the goblin kin. Even the goblins themselves are 47, though some races, though in fairness, most of the difference is superficial skin pigmentation, height, build, etc. Though 
there are many that live in the Underlands and undersea who have great differences in with the goodly races of the Underlands and seas we will touch on them at a later date. Many sub-races adventurers many sub-races adventurers may come the f- I can't talk about the main sub-races adventurers may come across the mountain goblins, the plains goblins, the forest go- grobby and the tunnel dwellers. Mountain goblins are perhaps the most warlike of all common sub-races you come across and like, unlike most goblins who attack in massive waves to overwhelm them prone and generally without tactic, mountain goblins will attack with shield ball, with spear and swordsman behind. Um and archers from a distance, using many of the techniques learned from the endless world with dwarfs and gnomes who they hate with all the fibre of their being. They are unable to fully utilise these tactics as they are still cowardly creatures at heart, not liking to enter combat unless absolutely necessary. They don't have at least a 41 advantage. Excuse me. Plains goblins, not all like an atypical goblin. More often than not, you will find them riding the back of a warg, who breed to serve them in combat, brutal and evil. All other wolves despise the warg and will gladly rip one's throat out, at least provocation. The plains goblins are absolutely fearless in combat, using composite bows, spears and shields or sabres, led by the strongest of the kin. They will never run from combat unless outnumbered two or three to one. This is only to recuperate and return. These goblins are the bane of the path of pony clans and dwarven nomad clans. Forest grobby, as the dwarf named them, are just that. Forest dwellers and their natural em- enemy, the torrid lead hill, who hate them for the considered discretion of hallowed woodlands and forest. Forest goblins are often seen in great hooded cloaks of varying hue, riding or herding fearsome creatures called squishers in the combat. Some have been known to eat psychoactive mushrooms and paint war paint on themselves before charging a combat. Same lust for battle, not going down on proper dead with no armour, just a weapon. Though these goblins are few and far between, considered to be crazy, even by goblin standards, some tribes have been known to ride giant spiders in combat. Yeah, obviously this is going to have to be changed because this is forest goblins from um, Warhammer. Um, changed a lot, but these are your atypical goblins, covetous, greedy, hate, stupid and about as cowardly as can be, we're not holding a 10 to 1 advantage, and even that's a bit iffy. Hence the worst insult to dwarfs on or you're about as brave as a forest grobby. Though it would be advisable to run away as quickly as possibly can, say, before said dwarfs attempt to hack your head from your shoulders. Obviously that particular um, things about that is going to have to be changed, though for the most part it'll be the same. Squishers and... Um, Real squishers and fucking fanatics and goblin riders. That's not um, Games Workshop goblins at all. Not at all. Uh, right, let's go. Tunnel dwellers are those who resemble the base pathfinder goblins the most. They tend to dwell in places abandoned by the other races, especially like this, and especially like a good minor citadel. They are less aggressive than plains goblins, but less cowardly than the rest of the cousins, except obviously the plains goblins, preferring two to one advantage just because they probably need it. The next most goblin goblin kin kin is the hobgoblin, a larger version of the smaller kin with all the evil and deep vein of courage. A very deep deep vein of courage at four to five feet tall, they are taller than their cousins and more densely muscled for something of their size. The, they are supremely militaristic race, bred by Hacky Slasher, 
that was the god name the, the smart ass god, god name the creator of all goblin kind to serve initially as leaders of goblin armies during the great wars but it was quickly apparent to the hoblong commanders that the little charges were just cowardly little whelps and there was nothing one hoblong goblin could do that ten goblins couldn't so began their own breeding program under the situation until the situation at hand were the entire strongholds and cities of goblins ready to march at the order of the Black, the black Paladins as devoted to the spread of evil and as strong-willed as the goodly Paladin is the spread of good. Most goblins you will come across are from raiding parties generally led by a Black Knight or Priest of Haki Slasher. When encountered outside of the compounds, cities and strongholds they found leading bands of tunnel dwellers or raiding bands led by blackness or piece of hackers last Got hobgoblins, like all hobgoblin clyde, hate and fear all arcane magic. They respect the shamans of the rest of kin, tolerate their magic, but that isn't the exception. Gragori are even larger than the hobgoblins and just as densely muscled. They look like the little cousins, but with fur on their heads and bodies. While the little cousins are completely hairless, standing generally between five and six feet. Five and six two of the even more ferocious fighter than hobgoblins. The ferocity leads them not particularly good living with others of their kind. They only spend time with each other when engaged in combat or breeding. Each litter of 6 to 12 generally gets whittled down to 2 or 3 because they get left by their mother to fight amongst themselves. Hobgoblin black knights um... Hobgoblin black knights and priest leaders often use Gregory as bodyguards as they are utterly loyal to anyone they give their service to and it's about the only time when they're not constantly at war. There's one there's more than one of them in place they don't try and kill each other. Uh, Kranikar are huge hawking brutes of goblin kind and most feared of all their cousins at 7 feet tall and heavy of muscle. Lumbering and dumber than a box of nails, a product of an experiment of, by the last goblin high priest of Haki Slasher, who dabbled in arcane mixing of Gregory for for some reason Buffalo. What the priest was thinking, no one knows, because when the experiment was discovered, he was quickly executed by his own acolytes, but not before the Kranikar were released into the wild to breed and infest the lands around the stronghold of the Hobgoblin clan in question. They often used as beasts burdened by Hobgoblins, but they are tamed. <clears throat> but these are tamed Kranika who've been broken of their ferocity and useless for nothing else other than being pack mules. Not to say that they won't defend their charge with our ferocity, they're just <coughs> a bit crap. Kranika make every other one of their cousins extremely nervous, rarely letting themselves come into contact with the untamed version of the huge cousins, but not absolutely necessary. Uh, this is be- being because all untamed Kranika want to do is meet and fight, and they aren't too particular about who they do it with. Snowgrins are the crap end of the DNA pool when it comes to goblin kind. They are t- tiny, never topping a foot and a half. They are nonetheless breeding machines and then being so numerous and as annoying as vermin, even to their own kin. They, will always, they are always used as fodder, even by goblins who like the idea of having someone they can kick around and have no repercussions. They run, run around in milling hordes of knife and throwing axe wielding maniacs which to them are like broadswords and two-handed taxis, unarmoured and not uncommonly unclothed. Um, it's well known for goblinoid armies to fill their catapults with snowgrip 
Snowgrind projectiles. The little vermin considering a great buff with a little knife's hand flying through the air, stabbing even as they plummet to the ground, most finding death, but some managing to take the enemy with them. The ta- this tactic is often used as a diversionary one, while the Snogrin capitals launch waves of cackling minions and are targeting to stop the reign of tiny maniacs, the rest of the siege weaponry is free to do his work. Very seldom we ever encounter Snogrins where they aren't being kicked around by goblins or hobgoblins. Even trying to herd around Kranachar, they have been assigned to by their hobgoblin betters, wielding between teams of five a herding spear. They're too stupid to realise they aren't big enough to fight with anything other than each other. Even pixies can beat the hell out of a Snogrin without the magic, something which Snogrins are fascinated by. And the little hovels within goblin and hobgoblin layers tend to have numerous magic bubbles hiding them from their larger cousins who hate arcane magic. Poof. Orkin! The Orkin are black-hearted and spiteful race bred from melding elf and ogre by the dark magic of Thagroshin, the creator of the Orkin race. They retain much of the features of ogres, great tusks, but shorter and actually somehow far more aggressive, much to the berserker of hell's glee. Males tend to be between 5 foot 9 and 6, eight, six feet 8 and 228 and 270. Females within 5 foot 6 and 6 feet 3, 235. The hair tends between light brown and midnight black. Their skin tone ranges most in hues of green, some greys and browns. The eyes range from golden to some yellow and blood to fire brick red. I don't know why I did that, but <clears throat> the Orkin in the current day are for the most part organised into tribal groups, rebel clans and stronghold clans. Tribal groups are, as, are everything you would expect of the dwarf, barbaric, ferocious and territorial of them, not the dwarf. Barbaric, ferocious and territorial in the extreme. They fight with each other as readily as they do with anyone else. Northern tribal leadership will change two or three times in a single year and the tribe that is actually in power will change changed that many times. Like all Orkin society, tribal groups are male dominated, though circles of a circle of female witches sometimes advise the chieftain and shaman, not in the vast majority of the group. The tribal group's choice and mode of battle entirely depend on homeland and available weaponry and armour. Some tribes fight on the feet and though through sometimes throw themselves in with basically some tribes charge in the back of various available mounts. Raiders are the go-between between the tribal groups and stronghold clans for weapons and armour, but also when not at war they provide both with slaves as it is the primary role. Raider clans attack everywhere on the planet, including against other Orkin and pretty much everyone else. The type of raider clan you can come across in the towns of the area, see raider clans along the coast of Ham and Charon, some of the strongest and most well-armed of the clans, some of the best fighters of entire Orkin kind, and the most disciplined raiders taking goods as well as slaves to trade with not, all the, not only other Orkin but also Dark Elves, Gnolls and Minotaur, Slapmen men of Ham and Sharon, whereas Step Raiders fight from the back of Smilodon against the other Step Nations, they face their faces hidden under face coverings connected to the helmets or turbans. Stronghold clans are the most disciplined of the base Orkin, not like the rest of their brethren, even every stronghold clan is entrenched in a single fortress or city or citadel who have taken off an enemy. It has often been rebuilt and defended a number of times, often crudely, sometimes using the expertise of the slaves and 
definitely their labour. Stronghold clans are always led by the strongest warriors, who advise various council of clerics, sorcerers and other warriors. Some of these warriors are paladins of slaughter, servants of the Groshen, devoted to the utter destruction of all good. They have time, and time again proven themselves deadly foe to the light and often the vanguard of the battle of the Great Wars. Orc Orkins and Elves despise each other to the very bones of their bodies, and an elf and Orkin engaged in combat would rather die from what wounds than let each other survive. They breed almost as quickly as humans and have a lifespan up to 100 years. The two most common Orkin subraces will come across are the Orgadkun and the Akun. Tribes of Orgadkun on Estradorius arrived at the end of the Third Great War from the South Arctic continent. The chalky white skin colour makes them stand out where they have been where it had been a survival trait in the Arctic. The Orkadun Orkad Orgadkun, who live in Estradorius, who live in the hot climates, are hairless, whereas those who live in the climates akin to the ones they evolved have white fur that covers most of their bodies. When they enter warmer climates they shave their bodies apart from a stripe down the back of their heads down to the tailbone. They are all barbarians, even more than the rest of the kin. The worship of Thagroshan through battle and the driving force behind their existence. None of them carry or wear any metal weapons or armour. They haven't been looted from enemies. They use obsidian, stone, wood and bone for their weapons. Leather, bone, fur and hide for their armour. Akun, like the Orgudkin, are from a difference are of a different skin tone than cousins, lava red in colour, and for the most part imbued with magic. It is posited by many scholars that the original Akin were made of what, of what would later become great elves with ogres. They are less warlike than their cousins and actually civilised to some degree. The magic learned through the study rather than sorcery that imbues the witch doctors and shamans of the other Akin. Like the grey elves uh, in their Like the Graves are small in their cousins, the Akins are small in other Orkin, both in height and build, though still physically strong and highly intelligent, which is a scary proposition, though they are still subject to the false berserker nature of the Orkin. All other Orkin despise their cousins. If they aren't forced by a higher power to work with them, they'd rather be kicking the crap out of them as they see them as weak and soft, not a little elvish. But they're also primarily afraid of them, and that's the reason for the Akin's survival. An ox tribe that comes up against Akin force will run away and love to tell the story. Though they are like the grey elves in their use of magic, they are unlike them and they do not hide where they lay their heads, making it well known that where their strongholds are, they ensure that every Orkin with a hundred leagues can name their home and banners of every regiment of troops they have. The Akin favoured the Arkin swordsman and the battlecaster. Dark Elves Morel or Dark Elves are the most common foe you will be likely to face. Next most common foe you will be likely to face. They are the evil surface elves. There are even more evil subraces of elves than most identical to high elves, except the Dark Elves file their teeth to point and their eyes are coal black. There are other evil subraces elves. Towards the end of the First Great War, the elven worshippers of Melanaki, who had been a goddess of the light, began, began to act strangely. The death of her mother, when her mother is Astrathea, first queen of the Celestium, and the original goddess of love, died bearing Amiel, the current goddess of love. As the mind of the Princess of Pain started to warp, the mind of her worshippers among the elves, who were her most fervent supporters, began to warp too. They became sadistic and cruel, revelling in the making of their enemies die in the most horrid of pain. They began using poison to coat the blades of their weapons and using tactics akin used by the darkness against them. In the final days of the war, Melanaki was turned on by 
her uncle, Jalador, Lord of the Underworld, turned by her uncle, Jalador, Lord of the Underworld, whom she worshipped before his fall, and still did. In doing so, she brought up most of her fervent supporters with her to the darkness. After the hell that they had endured during the Great War, the Aralaid Tell faced a greater schism within their cities, where brothers and sisters fought each other and great strongholds were locked in civil war. After a hundred, year, hundred years of war, the Aralaid Tell were irrevocably split between those who followed the light and those who fell into darkness. Thirty strongholds, twenty-three of which still stand, were taken over by what high elves were not now called Moralaid Tell, now considered subrace all of their own. Dark elves revel in battle and torture of all things, including each other, but will only initiate that when they are at the advantage. Many cults are dedicated to application of one type of torture or combat, but many others are dedicated to the destruction of one race or another, including other evil races. For the most part, however, dark elves fight exactly as high elves do, favouring phalanx, walking warriors and crossbowmen of the, as their cousins do, but more led hell weapons are more often not poisoned and they're weapons and armour. Their armours and shields belated and spiked. The slaughter cults have all their own particular blend of combat, from gladiator-like fighters to dervishes to duelists among others. The most common moral-led hill you will come across will be corsairs, slavers or daughters of pain, one of the slaughter cults. Unless you... I'm probably going to have to fix that now. Um, which hills? Um, unless you come across one of the secreted outposts of the local strongholds, in which case you will face sitting three soldier, a few clerics and wizards who are prevalent in the moral led hill society as they are in the Aral led hill society. Uh, there are a number of other races whom you will come across of evil bend, but the knowledge of them is not common, and those, and only those who have studied them a great deal to, will be able to identify them on site. So that's basically the primer. I also put character creation at the end of that as well for um, the players. But um, yeah, I mean, that is a little primer of, of the world. I have maps, I have, you know, I've, I've got the basic ideas down um, for the, obviously, the, the world. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's probably going to have to get added upon and fixed. I mean, obviously, you know, forest, grobby, and um, dark elves. There's going to have to be tweaks because they're very like um, games also. Dark elves and forest goblins. But there are. You know, we also never talked about the warriors who walk in silence, the um, psionic race. Um, obviously, because the cat, the the guys actually didn't know about them. Um, that was the whole point. One of them, one of the characters, was going to eventually reveal himself as one of these. You know, he'd been not. Like a human character was had not been using his abilities and had behind and everything, um, so yeah, never never actually got to that point um, at the campaign, but that's that was what would happen, and basically he was the guiding force behind the the entire campaign, um, so a little bit of a primer on how much you're on. Obviously, into the future, I'll add more. 
and I'll, I'll build up on and build up on um, everything. I've got all the, the files that I need, I just need to download the programs, I need to open them and start working on them again. Um, <laughs> that's actually almost 45 minutes, it's actually more than 45 minutes. It took me to go through that. Obviously there was me stumbling at points and not being able to see names, but there is an entire pantheon for the most part. I need to add bits and pieces here and there. But there's an entire pantheon built for it. There's an entire world. Every country is named. I've even got them on a map of some sort. Might not be the greatest map on the planet, but it's there. Um So yeah, I've got part of the history as well. That's something I need to expand on greatly, um, which you need to probably help people <laughs> to expand on. But um, yeah, that's it. That's 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 it on a nutshell. Um, obviously, we'll talk about other characters, other races, and what have you. Other points. Um, as and when they come up. Um, obviously, if you go in the Underlands, which is essentially the Underdark of um, Forgotten Realms, but not at the same time, because there are differences, because they're not just gnomes and dwarves and humans. And there's, there's an entire an under, an entire Underland society that's not um, seen by the, the, the world above. Entire um, society in the seas, under the seas, as well, you know, in the Arctic regions, there's entire societies that's not seen by. But they, this was basically where we were starting the adventure, and um, with that group was this country, this part of the world. So that's that's why the prime one was on that particular part of the world. Um, but obviously I was adding bits and pieces as I was going on um, yeah I, I'm really really excited about this if you can't already tell excuse me busy day, busy day, busy day um, I'm really excited about getting this done and starting, like proper starting on it um, so yeah hope you guys enjoyed this little primer um, as always um, the raffle is ongoing at the moment. Um, I think it's the train one right now, as I speak. But um, it will be because I don't have anything other finished right now. Um, but obviously, if you're listening to this episode later on, um, there's a there's whatever raffles on right now. Just go to the coffee account. Um, buy coffee, buy your raffle ticket, can win it. It might be a piece of train, it might be a bunch of figures, it might be a rule book. Depends on what it is, when it is. Um, what else? Yeah, so if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with other people. Please comment it on it. Please review it. Whatever your platform needs you asks you to do to review, the more you talk about it, the more people listen, and more people get to know about 
rules and everything and just the podcast in general and get to listen to cool people and me talk shite about games Um, I don't know what's the next interview right now because I've already done the one with Paul Cooks and the next one at this moment in time I just have um, Dan Adam and Paul Cook talk to Um, I'm going to see if I can get one of the more diffiest guys on to talk Um, I know they're UK based so it'll be easier to talk to them Um, but I also need to talk to them about possibly using the 2D20 system Um, yeah I think that's it. Oh, YouTube channel. Watch the YouTube channel. If you haven't already. Follow me on Twitter. It's the best place to find anything out. Um, I think that's it for me for today. And I think that's actually it for me today. I said I wasn't going to do any recording or anything today. I'm definitely not doing edit, any editing today. Though I have already. <laughs> um, I've got it to the start point. Um, for the D&D I've got it to it at that point and then done nothing else intro, outro done that oh yes at this present moment in time Carinade will not have happened um, that is the Falkirk World Game Show um, so if you are in the Central Belt on the 11th of May of this year I highly recommend you go to the Carinade World Game Show um, it is at Graham High School in Falkirk um, so loads of traders loads of participation games display games even some of the um, game manufacturers will have display games as well or participation games um, there's a flea market so you might get some stuff for cheap um, or at least a decent price um, there's everything from Games Workshop to Infinity to Necromunda games, yeah, Necromunda is Games Workshop to historical stuff to any other fantasy set of rules probably that you can think of any sci-fi set of rules you can think of so Warlord have normally got a stall Dave Thomas has normally got a stall there's terrain manufacturers there's book sellers there's board game sellers there's everything for the hobby so highly recommend you go down and um, come to the show that's it, come to the show Um, so Graham High School 11th of March, May um, Carnade be there or be square and I'm going to say after that stupidness I'm going to say good day and happy hobby, guys. Thank <laughs> you.